We have come to a crucial point in the Gospel of St. Mark, as this is a turning point for not only Jesus' ministry, but it is also a turning point in the disciples' lives. Discipleship for the disciples is about to take a drastic turn. So let us turn to Mark chapter 8, and I will be reading verses 11 through 30, uh, but the sermon will be on verses 22 through 30. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, that is Jesus, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not yet hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man, and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are all learners. Since the time we were born into this world, we begin to grow. And as we grow... We learn. We learn the basics such as how to crawl, walk, and talk as we learn to communicate. And we all go through different levels of learning throughout our lives. It doesn't necessarily have to do with school or earning a college degree. But we all must learn something, a skill or a trade in order to produce in the world to care for ourselves and to care for others who cannot care for themselves. The process of learning is that we receive information, we think it through, we seek to understand it, 
we reason and then we apply it in our daily lives. But there is a problem in our learning. Uh, There is a problem in our reasoning and our understanding. You see, since the fall, when mankind fell into sin, our understanding and our reasoning fell with everything else. Because there is nothing in the world or within us that has been unaffected by the fall. All that we see and everything within us has been affected by sin, including our reasoning, including our understanding. But to make matters worse, we also became blind, deaf, and dumb when it comes to spiritual matters. This is what it means to be spiritually dead. In spiritual matters, the natural man has no understanding. He cannot reason his way to heaven. Uh, Though naturally everyone knows there is a God, even those who deny it and suppress the truth in unrighteousness, we see that God is revealed in nature, and man will be held accountable to that revelation. Uh, We can reason to prove there is a God with the natural evidence that He gave us, But when it comes to spiritual things, such as the way of salvation, no one knows, no one understands, no one seeks God. It must be revealed to us. It must be taught to us. And this is what Jesus has been teaching us through the pen of Mark. After Jesus fed 4,000 people, the Pharisees, demanded a sign from heaven. And Jesus said they wouldn't receive a sign because they were completely hardened against God. This is an example of being spiritually dead. The Pharisees were an example of the spiritually blind. They lacked the spiritual understanding to receive the Messiah when He was right in front of them. Now, the spiritually alive are those Whom Jesus appointed to life. Those whom he chose to open up their minds. And understanding to receive what he has taught them. And we call them Christians or disciples. And disciples are learners. That is what the word disciple means. It is a learner. Disciples are those who sit at the feet of their master And they seek understanding. They want to learn. But disciples can be pretty stubborn. They can be distracted by the cares of the world. Or by some other teachers or teachings. They can disregard their teacher for the sake of popular opinion. And oftentimes the teacher must ask some serious questions of them. This is how Jesus approaches his disciples when he notices that they are a bit confused. Jesus will begin to disciple or teach them. Jesus has been teaching his disciples through his words and his actions in order to reveal himself. And they still did not understand. And so he follows the same pattern again. But from this time forward, he's going to be a little bit more intentional. He will now speak through actions 
followed by further questioning. But this time, we see a glimmer of hope. First, notice, they traveled from the northwest shore to the northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee. They end up in Bethsaida. Uh, This is where he meant to send his disciples after he fed the 5,000, but they never got there. And this is the first time that some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Uh, This has been the pattern of his ministry, and it is one of secrecy. He led him out of the village to privately minister to this man's needs, away from unbelief and away from hostility. He wasn't seeking approval, nor seeking to become a pop star. He was avoiding popularity. He was here to teach his disciples who he was and the mission he had to accomplish. And he did not want them to misunderstand. He didn't want them to misunderstand what he was here for. He did not want to attract the wrong kind of attention. He didn't want them to have the wrong idea. So he takes this man out of the village for a two-step healing process. And this is unique. Because normally his healings were instantaneous. They happened immediately. But here, he touches him twice. The first time he touches him, he uses spit, just like he used spit in the healing of the man who was deaf and mute. But this time, he spits directly onto the man's eyes rather than using his hands. In the surrounding culture, spit was believed to have been used as a medium for healing. But in reality, there is nothing magical about spit. But Jesus was most likely trying to give this man confidence that what he was doing was for his good and that he was going to be okay. Notice the lengths that Jesus goes to in order to care for people. He he didn't have to do all this. He could have just said, voila, you're healed. Instead, since this man was blind, he takes him by the hand, leads him away from everyone else to a private place, and spits on his eyes for encouragement. Now, we wouldn't consider that all too encouraging uh, for our eye doctor to spit on our eyes. Um, But in this context, it was. The laying on of hands was not associated with healing in the Old Testament, but it was in the New Testament. And he knew that touch would be important to a man who was blind. You see, he steps into this man's situation, sympathizes with him, and thinks of the best way to minister to him for his sake, as well as for the sake of his own ministry. Uh, Many Christians today would view such tenderness or gentleness as worldly or lacking in faith. But in actuality, it is the exact opposite of what has been taught in our own culture. But even though it was for the benefit of this blind man, he was also teaching his disciples. The first time he laid hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? Now he asked him this, Right after, he asked his disciples, Do you see anything? 
Notice what he says. He asked this blind man, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. So he can see, but he can only see vaguely or dimly. He knows that there are people, but they appear to be like tall shadows walking by. You, You could imagine the human limbs were like tree branches. And the fact that he knew what trees looked like gives us a hint that he wasn't born blind. So the people around him would have thought that he was probably cursed by God. Notice, he asked this blind man on the first touch, do you see anything? Soon after, he asked his disciples these questions. Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Having eyes, do you not yet see? So this blind man's blindness is to be compared to the disciples' lack of understanding. He was using this healing as a means to teach us and to teach his disciples where they were in their understanding. The disciples had begun to see dimly, but not yet clearly. They had some understanding. They weren't in total darkness like the Pharisees or other unbelievers. Uh, They had the Holy Spirit. Uh, They were converted. They just needed Jesus to touch them or to open their minds to understand, to heal their blindness. Now he touches this man a second time. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village again to avoid unnecessary attention. This two-stage healing wasn't due to any lack of power in Jesus. He he didn't touch him and say, oh, that wasn't enough power. Let Let me touch him again. That wasn't the point. This was to illustrate the process of teaching his disciples. So more than just another healing, this is an account of how Jesus teaches and how he handles Slow learners. In fact, uh, Jesus is the only one who can give sight to the blind, both physically as well as spiritually. Because beginning in this passage, we will see a two-stage process of discipleship. And it begins as they make their way uh, 25 miles north to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. Uh, Caesarea Philippi was a pagan city in the center of Baal worship. Uh, They once worshipped the Greek god Pan, and at this time they worshipped Caesar. Herod the Great built a temple at the foot of Mount Hermon, dedicated to Caesar Augustus. And his son Philip built and named the town after Caesar, with, of course, his name attached. He was a bit full of himself. So it was called Caesarea Philippi. So Jesus and his disciples are heading there so that Jesus can get away from the crowds and begin to disciple them more personally and more in depth, both about who he is and how they are now to live. So as they're on their way in this retreat, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, similar to what 
Herod Antipas earlier said that John the Baptist was raised from the dead. So they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. So if you were to summarize what people were saying, they thought he was just a prophet. Through human reasoning and the importance of putting Jesus in a comfortable category, they thought he was just a human prophet of God. He he was indeed a prophet. But that's not all he was. You see, they wanted to figure him out so they wouldn't lose sleep at night. They wanted to make him relatable because prophets are still sinners and they can easily be dismissed or discredited. But this is the way the world reasons when it comes to Jesus because people do not like to be put in an uncomfortable situation. Most people in the world think that Jesus is at best just a prophet. Just so they can disregard what he has said about himself and about his father. There have been many prophets and he's just one of the prophets. So they can disregard his uniqueness. Now this is the case with Islam and the uh, elite scholars of so-called Ivy League universities who try to teach students about who Jesus really is, quote-unquote. Now, this is what is being taught to most young people today. Because to the world, he was the one who came to show us the way, but he, he wasn't the way himself. To the world, he was just a spokesman of peace and love. To the world, he came to teach us the golden rule to do to others What you would have them do to you. But they get his identity completely wrong. There are different versions of Jesus that completely miss the mark these days, aren't there? This has been happening since the late 50s, early 60s. There is the hippie Jesus. There is the Marxist Jesus. There's the capitalist Jesus. The political Jesus. If these are the versions of Jesus that you believe in, then you're not following the Jesus of the Bible. If you're just following the moral principles of Jesus, rather than trusting and believing in who He is, then you're not following the Jesus of the Bible. So Jesus asks this question to all of His disciples. And he asks this question to all of us as well. But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? This is the question that Mark has been trying to answer throughout his letter. And this is the most important question of all of Mark. In fact, this is the most important question of all of the Gospels. And it is the most important question of The Bible itself. This is the most important question you'll ever ask yourself in your entire life. Who do you say Jesus is? Who is He? Who is He to you personally? And Peter, poor Peter, he was kind of the big mouth of the group. 
He becomes the spokesperson who speaks for the disciples. He, he was the, the know-it-all. Just by his responses, you can assume he was probably an intense figure to speak with. He goes all out without properly identifying his own weaknesses. And he doesn't think through what he is saying fully. Or he doesn't assess the situation fully. He doesn't count the cost. He speaks before he thinks. He is fallen in his reasoning. But his response is true. His response is true. Peter answered him, You are the Christ. The Christ is described in the Old Testament as the Anointed One or the Messiah. And the Messiah is expected to be the Savior of Israel. So he answered Jesus' question correctly, uh, not because he was smart, not because he figured it out on his own, not because he knew what this would actually mean, both for Jesus and for themselves. In Matthew's account, Peter even tags on another name as he confesses him to be the Son of the living God. He acknowledges that Jesus is indeed divine. And Jesus responds to his confession. He says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So this was a God-given revelation, but it was incomplete. It was incomplete. We can say that this is the first touch from Jesus to this blind man. They could answer that he was the Christ, the son of the living God, but they didn't quite understand what he was there for. This confession was like when the blind man saw people, but they looked like trees walking. They see, but not yet clearly. See, they thought he was there to be a political liberator, to liberate them from Rome. Uh, This is similar to the way the world often portrays Jesus, you know, the, the hippie, the Marxist, the revolutionary, the political Jesus. They thought he was going to be this national leader or liberator, but but they didn't quite understand that he was there to liberate them from their own sins. He was there to be their Christ, to be their Savior, to save them from themselves. Because that is what we need more than anything else. More than a new influential leader, you need to be saved from yourself. Let the world have a long list of liberators and revolutionaries that they worship. Because none of them will ever match up to Jesus. They are just false idols and false Christs. We see this in, uh, often displayed in communist countries where they have these great pictures of these men that they idolize and they immortalize as if they can never be touched. But give me one name of any leader in this entire world who has not been touched by corruption and deceit. Even so-called Christian ones. Not even in the Bible. Do we find a leader 
who is untouched by corruption or deceit. Think of David. Not one will match up to this Christ, our Savior, our Lord. So let us not expect that a leader is supposed to come and liberate us from whatever qualms we have these days. The important thing to understand about what Jesus was teaching them was that he didn't want them to misunderstand. Often people misunderstand what the church is here for. We are supposed to reflect this Savior. Also, we are to reflect His agenda for this world. Sometimes the world expects the church to be overly political or to submit to a political agenda that they have set up for us. They expect us to tell our people who to vote for or who to endorse as a candidate. Or they expect us to blindly submit to governing authorities even when it is tyrannical or sinful. But no, we are to proclaim the gospel and tell those who have all these bright ideas for the church that they need a savior. They need a savior. They need a Christ. Let us not misunderstand what the church is here for and what Christ has come to do. He didn't come merely to set up Western civilization. We had a good run. But we see that's coming to an end, don't we? He came to set up his church and hell shall not prevail against it. This is why he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. It wasn't just about popularity. It was theological. It wasn't time to proclaim Christ yet. Actually, for the rest of this letter, this title, Christ, is no longer mentioned by his disciples. Why? Because they were still without understanding, theologically. They would have been rallying the troops to get behind Jesus to fight a physical war, but they didn't understand where they were heading to. They didn't understand his mission. They won't proclaim Jesus to the nations until after his mission is complete. Because this marks the beginning of Jesus' final journey. He would now travel from Caesarea Philippi, a little over 100 miles south to Jerusalem, where he will die on a cross. But then he will rise again on the third day. And then they will see Clearly, that will be the second touch for the disciples when they will see clearly. And on the way, he will be teaching them and they will be learning how to recognize him. And they will be cured of their blindness. On our way to glory, we do not see fully yet. Many of us see clearly, but we do not see fully as face to face. But he is teaching us through his word along the way. And one day we will see fully when our bodies are resurrected and we see him face to face. So what do we make of Peter's response? Well, it is a confession. 
This confession holds the truth of Christ's identity, which will be carried forth by his apostles. But Peter would be the leader in the early church's gospel ministry to the world, and he would be declaring the truth that Jesus is the Christ. That is why Jesus says of Peter, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So for any church to walk in the tradition of the apostles and what Peter preached, they must confess this to the world, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. What does that mean? It means that He's not only the Messiah, that He's not only the Savior of the world, but He is the Son of God because He has the same nature as His Father who is God. It means that their natural relationship is Father and Son. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. You see, the Son reveals the Father. The Father reveals the Son, as Jesus told Peter. That must be the confession of every church that calls itself a church. If it is not, then it is not a church of Jesus Christ. Not only is it the foundational confession of a church, but it is also the foundation or basis of fellowship. It is the foundation or basis of fellowship as well as discipleship. This is where our fellowship begins. This is where our discipleship begins. If we get this wrong, we have no foundation to stand on and there is no true discipleship. Uh, Think of when someone becomes a member in the church. We ask them to come up here and we ask them the, the five question or the five vows. And it is in a way them confessing Christ before men. Now there is much more to it than just saying that he is the Christ. There is much to that phrase, much to confessing that he is the Christ. There is much more to it. But that is the beginning of discipleship. Disciples must know Christ, believe in Christ, confess Christ before they learn Christ and grow to be more like Christ. And this is not something that you can learn on your own or from the world. It is revealed to you from God, God the Father. It's not just, I believe, now just tell me what to do. Give me the do's and the don'ts. It is a lifelong learning experience. Learning who Christ is as He is the foundation of everything we do and everything we are. He becomes the source of our identity as he was to his disciples. So let us begin there. Who do you say Jesus is? Also, understand this. Not all Christians see fully and clearly right away. Some do and others need more time before they get there, right? Because we do not all learn At the same pace. This is why we should never set up our own spiritual experiences. 
as the standard for everyone. Right? Our personal experiences are subjective and they're not to be the norm for all Christians. Because spiritual understanding comes gradually. It comes gradually. Now to be a disciple, you must know the basics of the faith. You must believe the basics of the faith. And summarized in the Apostles' Creed, for instance. We must know who Christ is as 100% divine and 100% man. And that God is a trinity. And trust in Him alone for salvation. But none of us see clearly as to see Him face to face. That day is yet to come. Until then, Jesus teaches us patiently. He is the one prophesied in Scripture that when He comes, the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Because He is the Lord who sets the prisoners free. He is the Lord who opens the eyes of the blind. He is the Lord who lifts up those who are bowed down as we heard in our call to worship this morning. So don't be discouraged when you feel as though you don't understand as others do. Christians are called to be lifelong learners or disciples lest we have eyes and yet fail to see. See ourselves for who we are and to see the Lord for who He is. So don't ignore it when He is teaching you. Because the greatest blessing that anyone can have from God, greater than any other gift that He gives us, which you already possess, is that you know Jesus Christ. Is that you know Jesus Christ. Let's read what Paul says. His hope is for not only the Ephesians, but for all Christians. He says this, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, that is Jesus Christ, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. Do you know Him? And do you heed his teaching? Do you have eyes to see who he is? Can you confess with Peter that he is the Christ, the son of the living God? And what that means for you from this point on. Amen.